Hello and welcome to Happy Place, the show that gets to know the authentic you. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm chatting to an old mate of mine, it's Jordan Stevens. If you were to look at particular goals or achievements in your life as games, if you were to approach it as a game, then at least you'll know when that game's complete. And then you know that you're setting another game. I've had a total complex about Rizzle Kicks because there was a point where I was so wanting to be this idea of myself that I'd created that I'd almost forgotten completely what I had achieved. And then I have to just accept the reality that I achieved all my goals. I completed the music game in a year. We had a platinum album, that's all I ever wanted. But I'd never let myself just go, well done, you've completed that game. Jordan shot to fame as one half of Rizzle Kicks in 2011. But overnight success isn't always what it's cracked up to be, as Jordan discovered when he started turning to drugs to quieten an anxious, noisy mind. What Jordan's experiences have given him is real compassion for understanding why people engage in hedonism and substance abuse. He's incredibly self-aware about the work he had to do and continues to do to make sure he's living as healthy a life as possible, both physically and mentally. One of the biggest shifts seems to have been in how he measures and acknowledges success. He used to be constantly chasing after a missing piece that might just make him a whole person. For you, it might be the house, the job, the partner, whatever it is. But he's learned to recognise that there's freedom in letting go of that constant cycle. So profound a realisation was this for Jordan. He's written a children's book called The Missing Piece. Although I have to say, I think there's a hell of a lot we can take away as adults too. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. All right, here is the show. so much to catch up on oh no I don't know where to start (laughs) (laughs) I don't know either I suppose I don't know either yes well where we could start is right at the beginning where I met you which was really fortuitous and strange and not how people would expect are we gonna do oh so we're gonna are we gonna lay the ground why not with with uh, yeah why not so I know your godfather yes very well who is the most wonderful man, and he's one of the people in life that I don't see enough, and I text saying, oh, we should have a coffee, and then it never happens, and I feel yeah, really yeah, shit yeah. about that. Don't. I love Ray. Don't, he's fine. He's fine. He's lovely. So he's your godfather. I'm like, he's a photographer. I was working with him one time, and he said, you are going to love my godson's music. And mm. I was thinking, oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to listen to this. What if it's awful? What do I do? And I watched the video of you in Rizzle Kicks and was like, who the hell are these two? They're yeah. amazing. This is so fun. This is what we need at the moment. And then I think literally a week later, I was playing it on the radio. Yeah, mad. It, w- it was one of those, what's it called? Serendipity. Yeah. Serendipity, synchronicity. Because we had, fortunately, we had everything. We had all the artillery ready 
for that moment. But it was fortunate, you know. And but I I I, I want to credit myself and Harley for we did have this kind of year. We didn't go to uni. We we decided to have our gap year as a a grind gap year. We were just going for it. And we rung everybody, yeah. everybody we knew in London to do with music. Do you know what I mean? I would play it to them. Ray was more in touch than that, of course. So when he heard us doing music, he was really into it. But yeah, we had managed to do enough promoing and website development. And we'd made this music video with my friend Toby. So when you heard it, we were ready because you said, I think it was one of your producers who got in touch. And we actually had, fortunately, that just established the infrastructure to be able to act on it which was amazing and because of that i mean our life changed because you did that you put us as record of the week maybe it was a month then no week it was a week yeah a week yeah um and then and it was we i remember it so clearly you know we were in the charts at that point at 144 that was what we were doing with all of our little groundwork you know because that's probably quite a good result actually amazing from, result. yeah yeah, yeah. And then it was July 2011, and the end of that month, we were number eight, I remember. And that was it. Wow. Captain I mean, Fun. I, Captain I, Cotton. Yeah, but do you know what? I'm, I've been, I was very lucky at that point in my career that I had any sway on anything. Yeah. And I'm only ever a tiny part of that, like you say, that whole journey. But it is a beautiful thing. I loved being able to do that. That was the yeah. best part. That was the job for me, going, yeah. oh, my God, this person's amazing, this band are brilliant, whatever. But... If the song's crap and it doesn't resonate, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It has to connect with people and what you were doing and that sort of fun and levity that you brought. Yeah. Just people just loved it. It was infectious yeah. and it carried you on to this like amazing, ever changing career journey that you're still on. I'm still on. Yeah. It's ever undulating and moving and changing. And you've done so much since then. I mean, more recently, you've done some sublime acting, which... Right. <laughs> Little bits. Yeah, but yeah. some amazing things. Star yeah. Wars and, like, some Wars, very, very cool parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the acting thing was a, a actual mistake, um, which is cool. We, uh, I think that will maybe infuriate all actors listening. Because <laughs> um, like, yes. it's the worst... It is, it's the... Of all the... I've... I've I am someone who feels obliged to express themselves in kind of any medium. That, mm. That's... I've got to this point, you know, kind of 10 years in where I have to just accept the fact that I like doing loads of different things. I envy those who can focus on one thing, but then I speak to people who focus on one thing and they talk about one Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so uh, I try my hand at anything, but of all the industries I've, I've been in or worked in at all, I'd say acting is the most savage. Really? Yeah, yeah I'd, say, I'd say the acting world is is pretty horrendous actually in terms of self-esteem or i think i think so so just to explain the accident side of it i, I began acting because um I actually me and harley got a, a me harley by the way is an incredible actor mm. he, he's he's taken his time but when he's gonna be i'm very confident about it. even if it's something i write like he or he writes he's very talented but he um he'd been battling he's been battling with anxiety but i'm sure we'll talk about that at some point but uh we both got meetings because we had done well and we were in the public eye so we got these kind of meetings do you want to do any work in acting I actually said no I said to my agent I don't want to act I would love to write and direct one day Harley's the actor you know but because I was so mouthy in interviews I got given this wild card audition uh, for a show called Glue written by Jack Thorne who's now one of the greatest British screenwriters there is he's he wrote the harry potter play he wrote um he's collaborated with shane meadows on his last tv thing i can't remember what it's called now the something oh the fate the no this with um 
amazing actor. Oh, I can't go blank. Who's the, <laughs> it's the heat. Who's the? You can't who, think straight. Who's the, no, who's the, he's another amazing actor. He's, he's <clears throat> Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. That's Love him. It. He wrote on Skins. This is England. Anyway, he's and his dark materials. I just I'm obsessed. Yeah. I love him. Um, but yeah, so I read the script and thought it'd be rude for me not to audition. And I just happened to be the character. Let me just, I need to explain this. I just happened to be, at that time, a fucking mess. The character <laughs> was a fucking mess. And it just synced up. I didn't know how to audition. I didn't know how to do anything. I turned up to audition and tried to get naked because that was wow. in the script. And the guy was like, please, please keep your clothes on. <laughs> but they were like, he's fantastic. Do you know what I mean? Because that would have been... <laughs> Something different. I turned up late. I didn't. I, I didn't have. I it's was always just... the way when you go really wanting something and trying too hard. Yeah, it never, never works, works out. And that's what I mean about it being savage with acting. All right. actors will actors will will, will say that will will they'll clarify this. Mm. It's they can these people can sense desperation. It's, un, yes. it's unattractive. Yes, yeah. I I had that experience once yonks ago. This is when I was in my early twenties, and I'd been I don't know I was doing probably top of the pops or something at the time. And um, ITV were like, oh, we really want you to audition for Love Island, which was a very different concept to the one that is on the telly the, today. The it was like celebrities one. and whatever. Yeah, it was yeah, in yeah. Fiji. And I was like, oh, I don't know if it's very me. So I went. I think I'd had two hours sleep. I was hungover slash maybe still even a bit drunk, to be fair. Right. <laughs> and I was just a bit like whatever in the meeting. Like, yeah. They're like, what do you think you could offer it? I was like... I was just sort of what yeah, whatever, yeah. and I got the Nonchalant, job. Yeah. But then since then, after that, I was like professional. Yes, I was wearing my prepared. Best outfit. I'd slept for twelve hours. Yeah. Didn't get a bloody sausage. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's mental. I know it doesn't make any sense, and it still it still continues. It's an energy thing. It's an intention yeah. field thing. But, but isn't that interesting? Because it's even the same with dynamics with partners, friends. That when you have someone who's so go. eager and overbearing, you're like, oh no. But when someone's a little bit not even standoffish or cool, but just their energy is more contained. You're like, oh my God, I'm quite curious about this person. Yeah, Who are you're drawn they? to it. I'm not very good at doing that. I'm, I know. I, I, I think the I'm sweet spot. I think the, <laughs> <laughs> I think the sweet spot is, is preparation and then, and then, and then surrender. Letting go. It probably takes years to master. Yeah. But I think like it would be stupid to be because I had a phase where I think I consciously tried to underprepare. That also didn't work. <laughs> Acting like you're underprepared. I, yeah, I once because yeah. I once got uh, well. Yeah, so to ca- to carry on, uh, basically, I I got grilled in an audition for Glue. I got like five five recalls, which isn't normal. So wow. I, was, I was chemistry tested a lot because it wasn't like let's shove this little pop star into the show. It was like can this pop star like, act? And um, I got the part, so which was crazy. And then for, since then, I feel like I've just been falling forwards. I've been I've had a, I lived with one of the the main actors in the show. He ended up living with me after we did Glue, and I saw his kind of thing with acting, and I kind of accepted that there's a whole other level. He's called Billy Howell. He's an incredible actor and will be huge. But it's just you know the way he was. I don't know engaging with it. There's it's 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 lethal because as an actor, you're constantly employed and unemployed. Yeah. There's no control. There's no reactivity. So for me, with music or writing or books or whatever it is, if I feel a pushback, I actually have it within my power to do something about it. Yeah. With, in acting, if you if you get to the last two, three, or don't get anything or whatever else and you don't get it, you have to wait. Mm. I hate that. That's why actors go... Listen, actors can be some of the wildest people you'll ever meet in your mm-hmm. life because they've got all this off time. And that's also why I think actors end up with actors. But... Yeah, I, I there's bits of my career that I think mimicked that where I was solely TV presenting and mm. every January I'd shit myself because there'd be nothing in my diary for 12 months right. and I would just have to wait. 
hence why I now don't do any of that. Yeah. And I've tried to create something where there's more control. And I feel like, you know, we're very similar in the fact that we're probably not very good at sitting back and waiting. So, mm. you know, that ha- having a creative endeavour is really key to staying feeling good. Yeah. And you've branched off into all these areas, not content with just doing the music thing or just waiting around for acting jobs and auditions. You're doing solo music now, yeah, which yeah. you know I've loved. Yeah, yeah I've so listened cool. To a ton yeah, of it I love that brilliant. you love But also now this gorgeous book that lies on my yeah, desk here, The mad. Missing Piece, which is so beautiful. And I texted you the other day because... I read it to my kids the other night and you were like, what? You're reading it to your kids? This is, I didn't know that this was going to happen. And it's like, yeah. this is what's going to happen now. Loads of families will read no, it. No, you're the, I think you actually might be the first parent ever to read that book to oh. their children. That's wild, isn't it? Because that wasn't even planned. That's so I lovely. didn't even think about that. I didn't think you'd do that. Of course. <laughs> God, you have to test it out on these little blighters. I, I mean, know. they loved it. And it's got a beautiful, we're going to get onto all of this. It's, okay. got, it's got a beautiful undercurrent that adults can pick up on and take heed of because usually the messages that you want your kids to understand are the ones that we still really struggle with as adults because we probably weren't taught it or it's just still the culture we live in is quite toxic in a lot of ways and stops us from really understanding what's what and the message in this book we'll get onto the deeper level in a minute but for a kid being very much it's not in the end result the thing getting the thing it's it's all the spontaneous happiness mm. and what happens along the way and I chat with my son about this all the time he's obsessed with Pokemon cards and right. he'll go to me every morning can I buy some Pokemon cards Pokemon and I'm like cards, are they still they're still going mate that is an incredible industry that st- oh you tell me about my it little, to be fair my little brother does I've got a, f- a little half brother he, oh he is obsessed the yeah. amount of money we've spent on Pokemon cards <laughs> And I keep saying to him, look, it's if you get a pack and there's nothing in it, you're just going to be disappointed for the rest of the day. But if you get a pack and it's got a great oh. card in it, you're going to feel good for about 10 minutes. And then in an hour, you're going to go, can I get another pack? Your pain, yeah. And it's just this cycle. And I'm, I mean, he's like, what are you talking about? I just want a shiny VMAX. That's all, <laughs> like, stop giving me Yo, this. Sorry, I know, I, know there's an, I know you're going in a, a path on this, but just as a side note, there's a Pokemon card store in Holloway where, where you can get the kids to pick the, the, the shiny out. I'm never going there. No, 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 because then they pick it and it's only like a fiver. Yeah, but then he's going to go, can we go there every day? Like my son will just now think that that's how you get Pokemon cards. You go and you true. spend extortionate amounts of money on the shiny card he wants. Okay, fair enough. I'm trying to teach these moral lessons through the medium of Pokemon cards. It's going badly. Um, but they are designed beautifully. They are designed beautifully. There's some really, I saw, I saw when I took my little brother to that store, I was like, God damn, these artists are really quite abstract, actually. This is what Rex said. Rex said, Mum, look at the artistry. <laughs> look at these characters. He's trying to get me hooked into it. But it is, it's an essential piece of messaging that I don't think, and it's not just for kids, because we're all doing it to an oh, extent. Mate. We're all looking for, you know, whether it's the promotion, the perfect partner, the holiday, the pair of shoes, and we still have this um, strange, mythical conclusion that that's going to make us then feel happy forever or complete or better than we did beforehand. But it's ephemeral. It comes and it goes and it's mm. then it, it, we need it again. And it's, I mean, how are you doing with that one? With with a desire for more yeah. and more and more. Um, yeah, I'd say I'm insatiable, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's the human condition, sadly. Yeah, I think I think the idea of enough, I mean... I understand it, you know, I understand it in theory, in in philosophy that um, I heard a great quote the other day, which is that freedom is the absence of want. Mm. 
mm. which I like because it's difficult to put a, a finger on freedom sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, and maybe that still isn't it, but I like the sound of it. Yeah, I think I, you know I've got an addictive personality. I'm I am an addict. I think that's what people say. I'm an, I'm an addict, and in, in, in that I have that capability to become obsessive with things, and definitely love a dopamine rush. But I I do think that there are steps I've taken in my life that have lessens the impact or lessens the desire for the constant need of dopamine. Actually, from removing some of the dopamine, which is an interesting one. Mm. Um, but. Yeah, man. I, I definitely, in terms of my career and and who I am as a person, you know, the kind of more egoic desires for sure, man. I'm always thinking about like it's not enough. I've got to do this and that. I did this into one thing recently, a game theory. I'm not sure if it's called game theory, but an outlook on life, looking at it specifically as a game, right? Which really helped me because the person was basically saying, I'm going to paraphrase here, and I'm not doing it justice, but he says this guy who's a probably a very qualified philosopher. <laughs> he said that if you were to look at particular goals or achievements in your life as games, if you were to approach it as a game, then at least you'll know when that game's complete. And then you know that you're setting another game, right? Mm. And that resonated with me because, for example, I've had a total complex about Rizzle Kicks because I've been around this entertainment industry now for a decade and I've seen... I've started to see the ups and downs and the curves and people come and go and people, you know, go into this crescendo and all this kind of stuff. And there was a point where I was so wanting to be this idea of myself that I'd created that I'd almost forgotten completely what I had achieved, you know. And I think it was difficult with Rizzle Kicks because it's not that no it's not normal for it to go that quickly. Like you put it as record of the week and it went. And then we were there for four years, decided to take a step back. I've seen people's trajectories go a lot, to last a lot longer. They've gone through a lot more rejection, a lot more fighting, a lot more, you know, and then they finally get this. Little Sim is a great example. Finally, 10 years of hard, hard work for Simbi, and then she's like, you know, popped off. And But with us, it was like, first go. <laughs> it was like, what? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I had this idea in my head of like, does everything just happen like that? Yeah. And then I had to tell myself recently, this is recent, this is like within this year or maybe even last year, like, I I have to just accept the reality that I achieved all my goals. I completed the music game in my mind in a year. We got we had a platinum album. That's all I ever wanted was a platinum album. But I'd never let myself just go. Well done, you've completed that game. Yeah. Now everything else is a bonus, or maybe there's a new game. You know. Mm. And and I think that feeling really did help calm that that desperation for. And I used it as well with with um with sobriety actually. I used to say that without before I even heard this game theory. I used to say that almost as a joke. I heard it from a friend. People would be like, "Oh, you don't drink anymore." I'm like, "Yeah, I completed it. I completed drinking." Mm. <laughs> but it's so, do you know what? It's so interesting when you look at that model in terms of success. What you've just described there is the perfect example of how all of this goes against the grain of what we're taught in society. So yeah. we're told you know, you could look to social media, to TV, to newspapers, to whatever infrastructure is going around in our culture. And the myth being that when you have success, you feel complete. You are fine. Yeah. You are happy forever. And you've just described this sensational success that happened in, let's say, 12 months. Yeah. But you didn't go... Now I am happy forever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and chill, which we're all hoping happens, but it doesn't. No, and we all kind of know that. And we can hear millions of stories about CEOs at the top of their game who are completely in bits and mentally a complete mess or pop stars or movie stars or whoever it is at the top, top of their game. And they still have all the issues from the past, the lacking they felt before they were successful, 
nothing changes about who you are as a person. Mm. It's just how other people treat you. That's the bit that changes because they they imagine that you're something different, yeah. that you oh, are so untouchable true. or whatever. And it's like, oh no, I've still got all the same bag of shit that I'm carrying around and stuff going on. And nobody really wants to hear that because we all hope, first of all, that when we reach this pinnacle, we will feel different. But also it gives us all... Um, almost an excuse to go, well, it, it's all right that I feel so terrible or that I'm angry or that I'm pissed off because I haven't got there yet. Yeah. But when I do, or you can look at other people and go, well, it's all right for them because they've reached that point and I haven't. So yeah, I yeah, can yeah, be yeah, in yeah. suffering. But it's if we just dismantle the whole thing, it's like terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. So when you reached that, and I heard a bit about this on your TED Talk, which I... I only stumbled across recently and I absolutely loved it. You completely you? nailed it. It was brilliant. Oh, I learned great. a lot about you that I didn't know. Oh. But when you reached that pinnacle of everything that you desired as a musician, as a teenager growing up, wanting to get a platinum album, when you reached that pinnacle and looked around and went, I am, like you say in the TED Talk, I'm one of the top dogs now. I'm like, yeah. I'm up there with the big players. I'm mixing with everybody else who's done very well. And you had that realisation that, you didn't feel complete. You didn't feel this ultimate, everlasting happiness. What then? Mm. Uh, well, lit- like, like literally, I ended up making some pretty awful music. I remember, <laughs> I remember after with Rizzo. No, we had the second album. <laughs> we had the second album that did well, but then we, that's it. So we, I suppose, we had a different. The the expectations rose around. There's us. always the next level. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and I suppose the goalposts moved, and our desires became bigger and larger, and then all the pushbacks became more painful. And I think you know a couple of decisions. I think we, there was slightly slightly different creative decisions. I mean, you hear this a lot with music. There's slightly different creative directions and desires between myself and Harley, and and perhaps the label. I, I've we know we never meant to be pop stars. We only wanted to make music and we love making music. And then we found that there was a new idea of us that was outside of our control and people were talking about this idea. And we felt as though, you know, we and also by the way, we were like fucking twenty years old. Oh, no. Do you know what I mean? So it's like so these these so these like freakouts. Now I look at twenty year olds now thinking, fuck me, I was that age. Yeah. Of course I was freaking out. So I was wanting to be, you know, all the things, you know, taken seriously or respected, uh-huh. all this kind of stuff on the basis that even though we were in this pop market, we were making the hip-hop we grew up loving, you know. But, you know, the more commercial songs were the ones that are played and da 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 Anyway, so we're in this whirlwind of, of opinion and critique and, um, and also success. And, and, yeah, so that was hard. Um, but we were ultimately just trying to make music, man. We're trying to make music. We're trying to balance making music we loved and, and, and being current and whatever the fuck you have to worry about. And uh, actually, the 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 shift came from. Um, I was a little bit worried about myself, and then Harley began to his issues began to come up too. Um, I can't really speak. I mean, that's for him to talk about, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, and I'd love for him to speak with you about this actually. But it was just to do with anxiety, generalized anxiety. We took a year off to regroup. I, I made some other music. I made this music with a group called Wildhood, a band I, I formed, which is like the antithesis of Rizzle Kicks. I just wanted that outlet. And Harley made some incredible solo music as Jimmy Charles Moody, which just honestly blows my mind. And then we came back together and it was just, it just didn't feel like running back into the pop world was the best idea. And it was at the, um, this is a more of a, a kind of a, 
like nerdy maybe like outlook on it but it was at the the transition into streaming so we were we were watching labels have absolutely no idea what how to deal with streaming yeah. so we were like we're just gonna let this you know this one so we take, take a step back and then we just grew up that was it I, I i feel like i started to grow up at 26 i, I remember thinking that and i and loads of things hadn't processed i hadn't processed where i'd been i hadn't processed the gigs we had done it's all too quick it was yeah so. yeah so i just i just did a lot of that and then and then um you know focused on trying to grow up and then i had to was confronted with the next stage of life which is you know interpersonal relationships and um becoming a mature person uh which is something that, that definitely entertainment industry fame in itself can definitely delay you live yes. in this kind of suspended state of existence it's such a cliche but it's absolutely true yeah. i mean I've, it took me decades to not be a teenager yeah. like decades how old were you when you started 15 fuck off yeah serious yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 working like every week How's in that environment that? with yeah. adults and commentary and it took me years probably in my 30s where I started to go wait a minute I still am mentally 15 here I need to yeah look at everything and change everything and you know that's where everything imploded and I changed the whole thing but I think yeah. it, it, it is a it is a cliche and but it's a very very true one sadly because it it's such a strange environment to find yourself in yeah and during this TED talk again as I said I learned so much about your life and your experiences. And we've been texting a bit over the last couple of years because we have an amazing mutual friend, we Donna do. Lancaster, yeah. who I've probably mentioned on this podcast like at least times. once a month because yes. she's she's sort of a mentor to me in life. And I know she has that kind of role with you as well where you can speak to her as yeah. a great friend and a, a wise, wise person in your life. And I, I love her. She's got a beautiful book out called The Bridge. Yes. And she helps so many people out there... Um, find some equilibrium and peace and and all that good stuff that we want so we've we've spoken a bit about this but there was a I was about to say missing piece without realizing <laughs> it was a pun for your book but there was a missing piece like watching your TED talk I had no idea that you'd you'd had addiction issues that uh, you had, there was drug use I didn't know about any of this so yeah. where in the timeline very high functioning did that fit <laughs> in um yeah so it was it was almost cliche so when I was saying I was a bit worried about myself after the second album, that's what I was talking about. So mm. I remember, I remember getting into cocaine like just just after. I can't remember when it was. There was a point where I, I want to say I'm not. I can't be. Speci- I'm not sure about the specifics. Yeah. But there was a point where I had finished. I think we'd finished the second album or something like that. And there was this gap. I remember this gap between finishing it and it being released. And you know the type of mind I have, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to listen to it without wanting to change something. The idea of being not being able to change it was, was hard for me, especially now with this newfound expectation. The first album was like, everything's yeah. a plus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Second one, I'm like, oh my God. And there was this gap in time and I just remember just having like time, money and, you know, attention, which is a savage combo Ooh, for like a yeah. 20 year old boy <laughs> who also was a weirdo. I was I was an odd teenager. I wasn't like this kind of like I wasn't like a jock or whatever the the UK equivalent. <laughs> you know what I mean? What is it? Uh, what is it? Like yeah, a, what is an English jock? There isn't there isn't one. Like, uh, but people know what I'm I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there wasn't like I was I just about got through on the basis I was a good footballer. You know what I mean? So I was in some popular circles, but I was I was odd man for real. Like I I used to 
Yeah, I don't even understand well, friendship, for example. we saw the Cisco video on the TED Talk where <laughs> right. you're recreating a Cisco dance routine. That was that was as a kid. That was that. that was I'm cute. talking. I'm talking teenager. Okay. Yeah, teenager. <laughs> I was still that kid. Um, but I mean, the reason I say that is that there's some some kind of dangerous power dynamics at play there. Because if I if I feel like I have not had a certain power growing up, or if I was, you know, then the fact that I suddenly have it, I don't know what to do with it. And you see that especially with men, it can become, or boys rather, that can become dangerous, you know, having that power because suddenly I'm just like, right, well, I'm going to go out every night and, you know, try and pick up someone and whatever else and get into these kind of cycles of, of, of kind of, yeah, just hedonism. Yeah. Pure, pure untapped hedonism. What, wanting to annihilate all your thoughts and numb? Like what was the, yeah. what were you chasing? What were you wanting out of that? I definitely think with I can't remember when I did honestly I can't remember when I did this TED talk it feels so long ago I I can't I must have been like 2015 or something I can't remember when I did that so I'm just trying to place where I was in terms of my kind of journey with with drugs but it was definitely I had a noisy brain and the issue I had with with coke or or or, or just a, a, with an upper I, the whole thing with amphetamines is is that it's actually what how the people medicate ADHD. Yeah. So this is just my personal journey. I, I, you know, so interestingly, my actual abuse, my drug abuse and drug addiction didn't actually stem from me wanting to just go out all the time. It actually stemmed from me staying in, because it was the only time I'd ever felt the voices in my head, kind of quiet and 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 become sim- simplify. Mm. Not necessarily the greatest thoughts that I was left with but but you know they were kind of very I don't know trashy but it was but they were still less thoughts than I had yeah. and I think that's what drove me towards it and also this is another one I don't think I've ever said this before I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast I was fucking anxious man this is what I remember too it was a complete mind fuck being in front of the people I was in front of, people I'd grown up watching on television, like people who, who, and I was so, I remember, this has just come back to me now, actually, I can feel this in my whole body, but I remember being terrified of saying goodbye to people, right? There's a weird obsession. So I would like go into a room and I'd see someone I'd seen on telly, I don't know who it would be, it could be a footballer, it could be like Jimmy Carr or someone like that, right? And then it would talk, oh yeah, no, I've seen you, you know, we're just new kid, new kids on the block, Da, 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 da. And I'd be like, all right, cool. Well, I'll see you, I'll see you later, man. And then I'd, I don't know what I'd do. Handshake, fist bump, and a hug. Mm. And I would think about the way I said bye to everybody in that room for, oh my God, for like an, an excruciatingly long time. And when I did drugs, I didn't think about that. When I did drugs, I just went into the room and was like, hey, what's good? And then fucking carried on with my night. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Really simple shit. And that's why I can understand why people get into this. I can understand why that scene exists. I can understand... The people you meet there is all just this hedonistic. And I missed it for years. When I stopped, I missed that world because it just is this irresponsible escape, you know. But I ended up finding some form of medication for ADHD a few years later, just before the TED Talk, I think. And and, and, and I think that took me off off um, drug abuse, I'd say, because really, I was, it was, like I say, it was just at home. I was writing loads. Did you have an understanding that you had ADHD before you started taking drugs? I... I had been diagnosed once, but I didn't really believe it. <laughs> I didn't like take it very seriously. I got put in a special uh, education unit at school um, for my GCSEs, so I was allowed to stand up during my GCSEs. That was it. And then I was later re-di- re-diagnosed uh, as an adult, um, 
And in the middle, I went to New York and, and took a friend of mine's ADHD medication called Adderall. Which, right? And uh, I did it almost as a laugh. And then I um, had this... I like remember taking this Adderall and we were in New York and we were a bunch of friends and we were having a bit of fun. At that time, it was a really great place to go for me and Harley because it was really peak attention for us here. In New York, no one knew who we were. And then I suddenly had this calm come over me with this Adderall and I could think, I was about 22, 23 when this happened, I could think about what I was going to say. Fern, I'm not lying to you, right? Before that point with Adderall, I honestly didn't know people could think about what they could, what they said. Mm. I thought when people weren't saying anything, they just had nothing to say. Mm. I didn't know that they were considering it. So I had, honestly, I at that point used to just say, "What?" I mean, you would have remembered that of me, I'm sure. I used to come around your house and I was blah 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 blah. <laughs> Like, you had those Christmas parties, whatever. Oh, those blah, Christmas blah, blah, parties. Blah. I was and telling I would... Anushka, the producer, about these parties earlier. Bloody hell. No, but I would I honestly motor long. mouth, and then I'd think about what I'd, I'd go, but wait, go, fuck, what did I say? You know? Mm. Like, uh, oh, and anyway, so I realised that, you know, I, uh, there was another part of the world, which was <laughs> that your thoughts have another space to go to before yeah. you say them. Yeah. So that so that was part of the journey and then eventually I was again diagnosed in Harley Street by a guy who who looked at me and was and said you quite clearly have ADHD. Mm. <laughs> and um I'd also been self-medicating on this stuff and I'd been taking way too much of it. Um it's just another story. It like. is so interesting. I've been learning so much about ADHD. I I actually did a King's College course to learn more about it recently. Really? Just wanting to really get to grips because I've had loads of friends diagnosed recently. I know a lot of kids who have got it and yeah. I'm really desperate to understand more about it and the different presentations. I don't even know if I've got it or if Jesse's got it. You know, all these Well, they reckon you can develop it now. Yeah, I think, but also our demographic went undiagnosed as kids in yeah. all areas. It just wasn't, this stuff wasn't talked about. That's why I think there are so many late diagnoses now. Yeah, of course. Because people are going... Oh right, that makes sense as to why I do this, why I do that, and and whatever. And I think it's so interesting because clearly you've now found a medication that really suits you, which is well, yeah. or not, which is no, the one you on medication now. No, no, you're not. No, okay, I've come off that as well. Come now. off it. Yeah. But this is the interesting thing because this is what I was learning about on this course is there isn't obviously one route to take no. as a kid or an adult. You've got to find what works for you, yeah. and it could be a lifestyle thing. It could be therapy it could be just having that awareness changing something in your life or medication it's got to be and it goes for all you know neurodiversity or mental health problems that there isn't one answer you've got to take this medication you've got to do this you've got to find you have to find yeah. what works for you definitely i wouldn't suggest going the route i went necessarily in terms of like yeah accidentally medicating yourself with a, with the worst drug by the way yeah. i just think cocaine is just the worst drug but I, I but everyone in london anyway it's just a it's a wild underground yes. is it even underground probably is not. it underground probably not um, probably not i just don't go out so i don't know anymore yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i remember you, back of course in the day. you fucking remember what music in the 90s yeah, you serious horrendous. jesus christ they're doing it on their desk at record labels yeah, no, and that quite literally yeah. <laughs> like, unbelievable unbelievable it is but but you know but i do again mass compassion for why 
that happens, why people engage in that world. And, and yeah, like I say, it was it was based around an insecurity, I suppose. And, and it's just a, a constant, it was a constant crutch. And again, the difficulty for me was I was also very high functioning. Like I said, I was, it got to a point where I was high on, on television and shit, you know, mm. but, but no one would ever know until I've told them on a massive podcast. <laughs> exactly, so, and now we can look back but, and no, spot but, those episodes. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. It's so interesting because I think, you know, whether people listening to this now have ADHD or not, so many people are going to relate to that social anxiety and how yeah. that individually manifests. So for you, it's this very cute thing of like saying goodbye to people. I still have terrible social anxiety in lots of situations, but I'm very good at masking it because for my job, yeah, you have to. I can sit and articulate and think about things and be interested in other people's stories, etc. But I still walk away. Like I went to a wedding Thursday and as I was going to bed, my head was like, why did you say that? Yeah, what oh, what did you do that for? Why did you? They probably thought you were really awkward. They were probably looking at you thinking you're a dickhead. Like I, I don't know how to eradicate that. And I'm feeling it even while I'm in the situation. I'll, I'll still say things without thinking it through properly and go, why? Why did I just say that? Because I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I don't know how I'm being received by other people. It's wild. And I think it's got certainly over the pandemic it got worse because we all went into our little holes and hid for ages and I really went into a little hole and was like, oh, God, this is quite cosy, wonderful. Yeah. And I'm still coming out of it and I find that, especially in the strange industry that we work in, have worked in, where it's so heightened, where you might be in a room with someone that you really admire, or you're with people that are very big characters that seem confident, they might not be, but they're presenting themselves in a way where they're the ringleader of the room, yeah, they're yeah, yeah. courting everybody there and creating some noise, and I just feel like I want to hide. Yeah. I don't know how to deal with that. I think so many, probably more people feel like that than not, I would say. 100%. And also with ADHD, I think generally from the stuff, because I'll check into certain podcasts and stuff like that I love listening to I actually at the moment really love listening to like really long form podcasts I'm listening mm. to like two three hour ones it's crazy but ADHD I think is becoming more prevalent in society just because of the way society is structured because of our screen time yep. our usage and because of the encu- just the encouraging of unhealthy behavior so you know, I definitely think people are, or if they have some kind of dormant ADHD, or if they are dealt with ADHD, it's definitely being like, in, you know, heightened. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's being. Um, I mean, yeah. how we live today is it's not sustainable, and we all know that in terms of like how much we're on our phone, but also how we are seeking distraction. Like yeah. we didn't, you know, if we were doing that back in the day, it was probably in quite a harmless way. We were just like. I know, watching crap TV or would buy a magazine or whatever. But now you can do, like, watch TV, read a magazine and be on TikTok. And you're like, your brain's going like a ping pong going around a machine. Like, wow, what's going on here? And we're all caught in that cycle. And we don't actively seek to counterbalance it that often. Do you have techniques now where you know it will help you to get your brain thinking in a simpler way or to have that space away from all the craziness? 
Um, I think one thing that helps me with my ADHD now, I don't medicate. I, I find food, nutrition is really helpful for me, nutrition and exercise. So I usually am more erratic if I've eaten something non-beneficial for my body. Yeah. And, and exercise, you know, if I'm in a routine, I've just been through a phase, I mean, I've just been away, but before that, almost a month solid, two months solid of, of this half an hour training with my friend on Zoom every single day. And I just feel so strong and, and, and you know, they're, they're natural endorphins, natural feelings of goodness and happiness. And I feel I make better decisions when I'm in that space. But food, listen, food is a whole thing. Food is... It stresses me out beyond belief in in the world just because I one of my compulsive behaviors that I battle with nowadays is is body dysmorphia actually, which I got a few years ago because of an unfortunate that's another story. But the point is I I have an, a dysmorphic idea of what my body is like. Even if I'm in really good shape, I feel like you know you see it when people go to the gym. It's a real thing. I think it's actually a really silently common issue for men, uh, women too. But yeah, for, but, I think most women have it sadly. But yeah, men I know. Don't talk about it. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, I haven't heard as much discussion about no, it from a male perspective. But I think it happens. I think it happens in a weird, extreme way. Um, but I can only talk on behalf of myself and. And yeah, it's just like I'll feel sad sometimes when I don't feel as though my, I'm in as good a shape as I could be. Something I'm working on, I speak to my girlfriend about it. But the thing that upsets me kind of externally about it is sure, I have my own responsibility on being kinder to myself, but I also feel like I'm constantly fighting a world that's encouraging not only my body, but everyone else who I love's bodies to have shit things in it. Yeah, and like the and all and it this got totally heightened by me learning about nutrition and being like fucking hell, this is awful. Like this is once I understand what our body needs to be fueled, that we'd actually need to even eat that much. But when what we do eat needs has to be like this and that, and it seems common sense just to fuel your body with. But then there's encouragement of these really addictive sugars and really addictive fats, and them together is like the best thing in the world. And yeah. that it freaks me out. I get that's like my, the 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 most severe form of existential dread. And all the stuff in our language, all the colloquialisms and the societal, the accepted ways of t- engaging with each other about food encourages that. It's it's you see the way people talk about those people who want to eat healthily. You know, yeah, like, people give me shit about it all the time. It's, it's yeah, it's like it's like a, oh, like, come oh on. I got some You're twigs boring. and seeds. Yeah, yeah. Like, just well, also I've got a really dark history of eating disorders, so I need this is I have to be like this. Yeah. I'm not going back there. Do you know what I mean? But right. it is very. You're totally right. People are like, oh, just have a burger and shut up, like chill out or whatever. And it's like this. I want to feel good. I want to have yeah. energy. I want to be healthy. I don't want to be like I used to be back in the day. I want to feel I know. good about myself. And I think it's the same with drinking. You know, if I go out and say, I'm by no means sober, but I rarely drink. I'll probably have, like I went to a wedding last week. I had one glass of champagne. I was absolutely hammered from that. I was like, ah, I need to go home. But if you say, oh, I'm, I'm, no, I don't really fancy, I'm not drinking tonight. People are like, what? Yeah. Chill out. Like have a, have a drink. And, that's a very British cultural oh, thing as well, that we massively. get shit for not drinking. Massively. It frustrates me. It feels like it's all part of a greater plan to keep everybody 
trapped in this Numb in this space. And, yeah. yeah, because yeah. Well, I mean, so if you have to I feel like I diverted then. Sorry, I kind no, of no, went into this. No, no, you're going off on great little I went tangents. Into this haze of, I of, love that. Of, I, that's um, what this is about. Yeah. But say you ha- you find yourself due to the work you're doing whether it's book writing, music, whatever you're talking about promoting or you're at an event, there's people that you know there, whatever. Do you still have that surge of social anxiety oh. or do you know how to deal with that now? I think I'm getting better now. I think in comparison to where I was, oh my God, hugely. Because I think as I've got older and as I have gone through more and as I have given my body... Like, for example, recently I I cut out coffee for me, which... Oh, I don't know if I... I know. No, 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 listen. I've, I, I have... Everyone around me adores it. It's only sin. And I envy. No, no, it's not a sin. What? Listen. I do moder- quite a lot of it. <laughs> well look whatever they're, they're, for, for me I, I, it was, I could not avoid what was clearly happening which was that I'd start off I'd have three months of bliss yeah. one coffee in the morning great push it to two great yeah. Then it starts getting a bit later, 3 p.m. Uh, or like, you know, I feel crazy if I hadn't had the coffee for me because I have That's the addict in me. <laughs> right. drinks it all day. Yeah. But then in the evening, the thoughts were wild. Yeah, man. yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's like, I can't keep doing this. So, for example, now I don't have that. I drink decaf. I love decaf. I'm obsessed. I'll drink like a thousand cu- cups of decaf. Heaven. <laughs> like, oh, it's only... Um, but if I go to these events, I'll have the thoughts, but I'll be within myself to be like, okay, I'm just gonna let the, let those pass. I definitely, I have to give myself credit here. I've I've definitely got better at that. I don't fear those events so much because I don't think I need anything from them. You know, I'll go there and I'll and the only thing I feel sometimes at these events is I feel like a bit of a um like a misfit sometimes and sometimes. You go. To, I go to events where there's like a clicky crowd or a crowd that I think are really cool Ugh, or something like that. I yeah. can't deal with clicky clicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but individually, these they're all probably great. But yeah. it just for in 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 me, I just sometimes I they creates this bizarre yeah. like chasm between us. And I and I remember just being in like the playground or whatever. That's the only thing that I think lingers, and then I, and then I begin to kind of overthink people's. But then even then, I'll just take a moment and be like these. Everybody is just a fallible, you know, complex chaos thing. I, I think is... most people in that room are feeling that. Yeah. We're all feeling it, but we all assume everyone else feels really comfortable and like they belong there. And but well, I also thinking... I want everyone. To, I, I you know there'll be that egoic part of me that wants everybody to just to know that I'm amazing. I want, you know what I mean I want everyone to be like oh he's so amazing like this is talk about coolness what about this guy <laughs> this guy is the coolest you know and then I'll say this shit to my girlfriend she'll be like what the fuck you are cool I'll be like no, no but I need I need this I need these people to say that I need they <laughs> it's ridiculous ridiculous you know I was thinking about this last night and I don't know if it's because somebody said to me oh, are you watching Love Island and I was like I haven't seen it I've got nothing against the show I just haven't I haven't watched it my only big big fear with that is that when these people come out of the show and they've already got like millions of Instagram followers and whatever, yeah. their hope is that they're liked. Yeah. And we all have this. Yeah. And if they're not liked, then it's like, what do they do? They don't know how to cope because they're now really famous, but people don't like them or whatever. But we're all feeling this on social media, but actually we have forever throughout history in our lives. We want to be liked. And I was thinking, why is that? It's obvious. It's nice to be liked, but yeah. what is the deep down historic, like the prehistoric feeling of I want to be liked? You know, is it 
tribal. We want to be part of a gang so we feel safe and we feel connected. Like, what is that? Like, I think for a lot of us, our fear is driven from we're just so terrified that people aren't going to like us and that, you know, when you leave my house today that you might think, oh, I didn't like that, don't like that, or whatever. Like, that's our worst fear, that we're disliked. It's so, it's a powerful thing. I think for me, I think for me it's, it's just a, a battle of self-worth, isn't it? Because yeah. to worry about being liked for me means that I've placed my value in, the, in, a, in an external people. opinion. Mm. So I, I feel I least care when the value is sat with me. So if, yeah. I, if I go into a space and I'm like, no, I, I, I know where I'm at, what I've done. Literally, it, and I, can, I know this is true for me because I can measure it. So if, I, if I've sat down and written like two pages of a book and I love it and I'm buzzing and I'm imagining, you know, I'm living in my own imagination about where all these things will go and I go into a room and I'm confident about the fact that I will be going back to that book at some point, and that's something I can. It's a purpose, just a purpose, you know, a goal. All these things that the human, the soul needs. I'm not going to be too fucked about who, what person thinks I'm. Da, 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 da. In that, in that environment, in that moment, if I have just, you know, not got a job or something I thought was going to go well or whatever kind of valuation, and then I go into a room, I suddenly need something from that room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think in a world where we are. I, it, I really feel like there's so many things in this world that actively try to deconstruct us. Well, they, of course they do. It, yeah. it, you know, it breaks us down. Consumerism is is built on inadequacy. Yeah. You know, these corporations or these big brands, they need a person to feel like they need them in order to feel better. Yeah. You need to have this person's name on your chest. Otherwise, you've got no social currency or you need this otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Like, get this quickly before you go on holiday. Otherwise, you'll look... You know what I mean? Or... It's just it's all based around us not feeling secure. Mm. Um, so I, I can understand why we all end up that because we get hammered with it when we're young and yeah. and and also yeah. And then you say and then it's just a normal thing of like well it is just really lovely when that comes. Um, but you know then there, there are ancient spiritual practices which is you know you're not you are to treat critique as you are to treat compliments mm-hmm. you're not even supposed to get taken away by compliments you know yeah I mean? yeah Which it's is all wild. a neutrality that yeah. we have to just sit with and go it is what it is like yeah. some people are gonna like us some people aren't gonna like us sometimes we're gonna be accepted sometimes we're not it's just life isn't it but we're all desperate and you know going back to your book because i know that there's obviously that that's the message but this alludes to that addiction in a sense. Yeah. It doesn't have to be drug addiction, but it's the addiction for more, for the end result, for the big shiny bit that, you know, kids get in small hits, Pokemon cards, toys, the yeah, TV yeah, show, yeah, yeah, YouTube, yeah. whatever it is. But we're we're worse than, you know, we're, we're doing it. Adults are doing it all Massively. day, every day, looking for the next, when will I be okay? When Who's going to fix me? And it's... Yeah. It, and I know that from when we've spoken on text... You've got obviously an inherent understanding of that, but you're don't know how to replace the word journey, so I'm going to use the word journey. But yeah. your journey has been about getting that without the stuff, without the things, without the exterior. Yeah, it's proper. an inside job, and it's not like, yay, Jordan's done that one tick. Like, that's not a game, that one's a lifelong, mm. you just got to keep going yeah, the, back to it. Yeah, the game theory in that respect is a hard one, isn't it? What, yeah. what where does that game end? It, I mean. I suppose setting achievable, reasonable goals. You know that that you can have little games in the big game. You know what I mean. You can have little, little achievements. Um, but yeah, I I think 
I definitely want to be in a place of self-validation for sure. That's the kind of goal. I have friends who have this ability to be able to just create, love what they create, put it out and just, and I love that. I love that energy. I just think as I'm getting older, more responsibilities come in. I have to start making more rational decisions. And then I sit and observe the consequences of those decisions and then pivot and and figure out if in this situation maybe I actually need less of something or I don't need any more, you know. But I'm learning the whole time because also life's changing so rapidly. Yeah. And, and I think... Um, I'm fascinated by people. I really am fascinated by the world and people. I, th- I I think that helps me. Oh, I really I want to have a strong idea of of self and also a detached idea of self. That's the dream, you know. And it comes in waves. Often, when I've eaten well for a week <laughs> and had some sleep, yo, and I had your the five tent poles, yeah. Has Donna been on here? The, the... She is coming on in September. So so. In her book, I'm sure, I haven't read all of it yet, I started reading it last week. It's amazing. She will mention the five tempos of whatever. And I've said this before on podcasts because it's just, everyone needs it. And it's, 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 oh, maybe I'll let Madonna say it, actually. You can say it. You can, you can, can I? tee up Madonna <laughs> Okay. <for September>. No. <laughs> well, it's just that, it's just a lot of the time in life when we do feel a little off-centre, one of the tempos is, is off and that's yep. fine. And then you can just know that there are other reasons. It's not just your thoughts or people's ideas or whatever else. There's other reasons. So sleep, nutrition, exercise, creativity, solitude, slash community, you yeah. know. Walks in nature. Six tempos. Fuck the six. <laughs> Walks in See, nature. See, my sleep and uh, solitude tempos have gone awry. They're bent. They've been, like, smashed by a hammer. I need those ones back in. Yes, yeah, so I've had no solitude, no solitude. I'm fucking awful on sleep. I need solitude. Parents' life, is, I mean, there Just needs to be some it. other tempos for parent life. There really does. You have to find mental solitude in the craziness and the chaos, I think. where Where's your self-compassion at? Not only for you today, because I think this is the thing that we all need to work on constantly, is self-compassion, yeah. acceptance, whatever you want to call it. But how's your self-compassion for when you were making, as you've called them, bad choices, whether it's drugs or partying or looking for outside validation, how's your compassion for that version of yourself? Oh, you know what? I don't know. I feel like it's dead. I feel like that. I feel like it's a different version of me. I feel like that person's died. But can you feel at least grieved? Sort of, grieved, yeah. perhaps. But maybe I've yeah. grieved. I do. I do think you're. I think you're right. Actually, I think that's something I haven't confronted. I haven't gone back there and maybe hug that part of myself or 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 understand I understand why I def you know what I definitely understand why yeah I made I'd, I'd made those decisions and 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 was in that world totally I totally get it yeah but I, I feel quite like especially in lockdown I went in a whole other way in terms of I really wanted to make myself strong man and and self-sufficient and like I just came out of lockdown like ready it was this other energy that I hadn't I don't think I'd focus on it myself. I I don't know what to call it. I don't know whether I'm going to put an, an, a masculine or feminine energy on it. I don't know whether that's right. I haven't thought about it. But there's definitely a fierce energy that came out where I was like, okay, here are my boundaries, you know, and, and I'm kind of no fucking, you know. And sometimes I had to accept, I, have to be, I had to be hard, like, not hard on myself, but I think I had to go, that's not me anymore. Yeah. And I had to let it go. Because I definitely have a tendency of, of, of holding on to things. We have such a weird world now, man. Like in my phone, I've got on my phone. I've got, this is another weird fact about me. I have, I don't know how to get rid of it, but I've got like f- some like 65,000 photos on my phone. 
<laughs> oh, oh, I, I think I've got more. No way. Yeah, it terrifies me. I don't know. I, I can't I, I don't, get rid of I'm them. I'm a technophobe. I don't know how to make put them anywhere else. No, I, don't know I can't. What to do. I'm a, not a technophobe. Do I put them on a? You have to change USB? your entire. No, no, you have to change your entire iCloud. I, I, I'm too scared. Yeah. No, same. I don't know. It ter- all of it terrifies me. I don't want to lose them, but so I also need them since... not on my phone. Right. It's me too. This is yeah, it. Stuff like that stresses me, so, so I pretend back to it's like not happening. Twenty. This goes back to my phone. Goes back to about twenty twelve. Wow. <laughs> twenty thirteen. So I some... think mine does. Yeah. I think I've got pictures of when Rex was born on there. <laughs> just... Mad shit. Mad. So I'll get like I'll get sometimes on my phone I'll, it'll go like here's a memory. Oh, like, listen, and from nineteen sixty four. It'll be like two thousand fucking fourteen, and I'll be like holy shit, and then I'll sit with it. But then I do just let it go. Yeah. It just feels different. That's good because that's... I've talked to Donna about this a lot and it's still something that I want to... I've just got more healing to be done on the me in a certain era of my life. You know, I've done everything that everyone else has done. I've been mean to people I shouldn't have. I've, oh. I, you know, I've done silly things that I regret and I hold on to them too tightly. And oh, need really? To, like, forgive you don't myself. forgive yourself for it? No, I've still got a lot of work to do. Okay. But then there are like darker bits of my life where I'm like... I do need to hug that version of myself. Really? But even going back to bits of it is like, I can't, I'm not there, I'm not ready. I can do it a bit here and there, but it's not like a, I haven't found the peace bit yet. Does Donna say that you should, you should go back and hug that version? Yeah, we talk about it a lot and we're going to do some more sort of ceremonial work and some cool stuff together where we really get stuck in. But yeah, it's all self-compassion based stuff. Do you think the fear of confronting that version of you contributes to some of the ways you act now? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, do, I had terrible sleep last night. I get really bad night anxiety. Right. I've had quite a good patch of sleeping, but last night, all every worry that could ever be created was in my head, and I was just like, "Oh, I am absolutely fucked." And I've got a really long day today, and the kids are off school already, and it was just like, Bleh. and it is. I know that if I go back of certain eras and I've got to make peace I'm already waiting for that tidal wave of self-loathing first that I've got to work oh, through oh man I'm so aware of all this and I've done so much therapy but it's still there's still stuff to be done and I'm quite accepting of that and I'm quite accepting that it might take years or forever and I'm kind of fine with it because I've always got something to talk about I've got books to write I've got things to get stuck into well to work with all that shit okay and get it out how are you with anger? Um, yeah, I can get... I'm quite reactive, which Are is, again, you... something I need to... No, I don't think so. I mean, reactive, react, re- rage isn't good. No, it's never rage, but I can get... Yeah, I can get but pretty angry. Anger was, for, for me, that was actually a real way out of stuff for me. Really? What, to yeah. have a, a cathartic release to get it out? I think my, my therapist and I, I feel, and I believe her, it makes sense. A, my, a lot of my self-destructive, self-abusive behaviors was inverted anger Mm. anger that could have been expressed healthily healthy anger is like i said boundaries is that anger towards other people exclusively or sometimes towards yourself i think the anger towards the other person isn't it could be an anger towards yourself because you have allowed that to happen yeah do you know what i mean so in a dream world you know we have our we have our boundaries and we value them that's it 
So if we were to honour our boundaries, then we we in that. Oh, I think I've got a lot more anger than I thought. Yeah, well, that uh, listen, I'm not fucking qualified for that at all. I I just yeah. whenever I speak to my friends or you know because obviously I've been through the bridge. I've done. I've done. Yeah. I did a a retreat just a couple of week weekends ago actually with a bu- group of men, which was great. Amazing. Called a band of brothers, which was amazing. But it's, it speak to people and it's it's one of the worst aspects of of this type of Western society in Britain is this kind of staunch, you know, one mustn't express one's, you know, and then you get the other extreme, which is the kind of rah, you know, but there's not this middle bit, which is like, just say, I mean, Donna would say it's saying, ouch, you know, it's just going, no. Yeah. Ah, like that. Because we think we overthink it, or we shouldn't. Maybe it's rude, or, mm. or you know, or or you're putting ourselves second because that's what we learned as a child. Yeah, it's really hard to do it. But if you can do it, I think you are rewarded by a sense. You're telling yourself, oh, you you value your mm. this space. Mm. Really hard, by the way. Not, but I'm you know. getting much better at that one. I felt a shift, even only like a few weeks ago. I just felt something shifting. Like, what is this? Like, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, do I? cut all my hair off what is this like what is this thing there's yeah, something happening there's something that's going on and I had a couple of really good little tests from the universe of like this this minor things nothing that's going to like rock my world and I could feel myself going into the habitual thing of self-loathing I've done something wrong I wasn't aware oh god I've, and then I've I thought, done something wrong and then I thought no Actually, no. Good. No, this is your shit. Wrong this is thing your is shit. the worst. The yeah, wrong thing is the I worst. I hate that. Oh. That's my my default in everything. Is I my biggest fear and my go to is I've done something wrong, but I didn't even realise. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's that extra bit of I didn't know like I got a it guilt wrong. Thing. I didn't know I had it wrong. I thought I was doing the right thing, and you're telling me I got it wrong. I empathise. That, that is so below much. my. That runs below my life always. Fear of wrong. Yeah, I, but but this. Me not getting it. Like, I'm so stupid that I didn't even know that was wrong. Like, that's... I go back to it. But last week I thought, no, I'm not going back to that. It's got to be a fucking anger there, man. Do you know what? This is so deep because that is one of my main triggers is Mm. I have a fear that I'll be wrong and because I'm wrong, someone will leave. Yeah. Honestly, so bad that I had it the other day with, like, one of my closest friends. And it was... I was battling between my objective rationale and the deep wound that it was. So we had a a debate. It was a heated debate. He believed something. I believed something. But because he so believed that I wasn't right, because he believed I was wrong, he believed I was wrong, I started to think, fuck, what if this is, what if? Because I've, because I've got a bit wrong in his eyes, he's never going to speak to me again. Mm. Like, and then I'm sat there, I'm, I'm sat there going, what? I can't, but I can't, I was actually upset. Mm. I couldn't believe I was thinking that. Mm. Of course he's not. This is someone I love. You know what I mean? Wild. So it, it's, it's deep set. And I had the responsibility that day to try and do what I could. And actually, hilariously, because I have no vices anymore. I don't even smoke cigarettes anymore, really. I just ended up eating loads of cake, to be honest. <laughs> But a good option. I was aware, at least. It yeah, wasn't you knew ideal. why you were doing it. It wasn't ideal, yeah, it wasn't ideal. But it's but the awareness. It, it you think, I know I'm, I do that. Oh, I, I certainly will comfort eat and go, but I know why, I know why I'm doing this. I would not say, I don't think people should comfort eat. Mm. But, I, I, but it was just, it was a real, it was my, almost my number one. Like, I was really, yeah. so, and then outside of it, then I kick into what I've got to do, which is, you know, protein, good food, yeah. r- running. Oh my God, Running. Running. But I think the anger thing, man, I think it's just like going back and just fucking destroying these 
these things yeah. for you in your imagination destroying the things that have made you feel that way like yeah. you're allowed to be I'm saying this as if I'm again I'm not qualified but I feel like you're allowed to just have a space my therapist and I form these spaces where I can just be fucking ever and just get it done yeah. you know what I mean get it out and then yeah sometimes I will do that when I'm running I'll be like I will be Usain Bolt around the park because yeah. I am getting, it, getting out. it out of my system. I want it out of my body, but I need to almost do that every day. Yeah, like it's get, hard. Because there's probably years and years of shit that I need to just get out of. But it's so interesting, that thing about believing you've got it wrong because I don't even think I've got a fear of the other person leaving the scenario. Yeah. No, that's my definitely fear, specifically me. That's you, but I think it manifests in different ways. My fear is I'm just a shitty person. You're just shit, yeah. I'm just a shitty person and I don't deserve anything that I have and other people... Oh, like imposter syndrome. Yeah, oh, hugely. Like have, that you, one... have you spoken to your therapist? Is this a, something you've been working on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, all I'm, I'm the guessing. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time, all the time. Because like it, it goes back to, I'm a shitty person, I haven't done enough to help, I haven't done enough, whatever it might be. I'm Full stop, I'm a shitty person. Like, it just ends. That's so wild. That is where it ends. And I... That's now I'm in my 40s. That's where I want to go. Hmm, this needs to be deleted. This sentence because it's just boring. It's yeah. boring to go yeah. back to that all the time. You know, what am I aiming for? To be like a saint, a perfect like we're, we're humans. Yeah, it's we wild. fuck up, we do things wrong. We can be a shitty person and we can be a beautiful person. It's we just can be like all of it. It, uh, it must be for me anyway. I feel like it must be a thing where we or I or you are so. Uh, used to it's just a comfortable space it's like a easy it's easier yeah and that other place because if we were to use my trigger being the the abandonment thing the discomfort in that place is going well you know i've said what i said <laughs> that literally is that energy i said what i said yeah. Do you know what i mean that's that's the space where because I, I i always want to i always want to find union and as i get older what i really want to get to is a place where it's like this is what i believe and I'm happy to open for other ideas, but in this moment, this is what I, you know what I mean? Just standing by it. Yeah. And and not being nice. I've been nice a long time. That was the thing I was trying to get out in this, in this retreat the other day was to get rid of this fucking nice thing. I'm, I, I like being kind to people, but sometimes people need to fuck off. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes, and I need to be cooler. That's the uncomfortable thing. I'm going to stand the fact that you need to fuck off. And then yeah. we can talk about this another time. It's a boundary. Yeah. But that's, you got to live in that for a bit so it becomes comfortable. It's the same as anything. Yeah. It's like freaking out when you're getting water. It's like water being cold until exactly. it's not, you know? Wim Hoffman, is Wim he been Hoff, on here? We love him. You know? But it is, none of us want to sit in discomfort because it's not nice. It's that simple. But it's the place of growth. It's the place of Pain, learning. pleasure, balance, man. It is, and it's the place of, like, it is, it's balance, isn't it? It's the equilibrium of going, you know, there's good and bad and and light and dark and whatever it is, it's all coexisting and we have to see it all and And, and also I bet I bet that fucking feeling of like actually getting something wrong and just accepting it is bliss. I did get that wrong. Anyway. Yeah, I did that last week. I actually apologised to someone, but very neutrally. I didn't feel like self loathing. I just I'm really I'm really sorry that that's how you feel and that I've contributed to that and I'm very, very sorry. And I, f- I, I left that peacefully. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Saying sorry is a good one. It's a real good one. Jordan, I could talk to you for about five hours longer because we could just even hone in on anger for like another hour and just go on that. To, I want to I wanna, I wanna, um, say, though, about The Missing Piece. Yeah, go on. Uh, that that uh, I have actually written the book for adults. That's the kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so 
my I've done a deal with Bloomsbury, which is amazing. I, I came to them with this idea. I had this idea for about six years because I I just had an idea. I had this. I was I was interrogating my own obsession with completing things. Yeah. Right. And 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 just more and more and more and more and more. And it was only when I was reading my friend's kid a book called The Fox and the Star. So um, I love that book. Right. Yeah. So shout out that author because it is straight up inspired so me beautiful. to write a kid's book. Don't know if they'll listen, but it'd be cool if they did. And then I read it and was like, what the fuck? This is deep. So I was like, maybe that idea I had in my head I can make into a kid's book. So that's it. I put a tweet out. You know, someone put me in touch with this wonderful woman called Julia Churchill. Shout out. Who was unbelievably patient with me. Three <laughs> years for me to do one redraft. <laughs> I did. I met up with her, told her the idea. She's like, this is great. In Waterstones and Piccadilly. She's like, this is a great idea. Write it down. Send it to me. Wrote it down. And she was like, it's not quite what you had said. You know, just have a think about it. And then over the course of three years, I changed the lead character to a dinosaur. I wrote a different kid's book. <laughs> so a different kid's book. She's going, she's going, no, no, no. But just what you said to me on that, that time, you know, checked in on me every six months. And then three years later, I'd got writer's block. Horrendous. And I went, well, if I've got writer's block, I might as well look at the things I've already written. Open up this kid's book. And then I've seen that I've added this bizarre storyline. The original one I gave to her, I'd added this kind of like, I'd made the grandma into like a detective. Anyway, it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just was like, well, I'll delete that then. So I just deleted it. And she's like, okay, great. That was it. <laughs> Three years. I just deleted half of it. And then, <laughs> then she sent it round. Bloomsbury meet up with me and Bloomsbury out of, out of all the kids books were, were amazing but they were like look we think you can write more so I've got a, a deal to write three kids books amazing. with them and I've written the second one I've got the outline of the third one but my goal my kind of I don't know what it is manifesto is that the books I'm, I, I want them to be engaging for kids I want them to love the colours like Beth Susanna incredible yeah. illustrator in this book Beautiful the colours are unreal and I had to pick from a lot it was a crazy situation to deal with all these different people's versions of Sunny, this character that I'd lived in my mind, but Beth, there's something about a colour she used, but the story, man, it's like, you it's know. It's for adults. Yeah, because I want people to have that feeling I had when I read The Fox and the Star, or where it's like. No, I got it straight away. Really, my kids were like, as you say, engaged in the yeah, there's repetition and the and, and, But I was like, I get the sentiment. Do you know what I mean? I and get and the it, sentiment. Especially with the missing piece. This is, this is, a, this is a fucking ancient sentiment. This is, yeah. this is, We've heard this all throughout our, our life, but it's just it's giving that that lesson, that journey, through the lens of a young of a young girl, and then also just adding a little sprinkle of um of elders eldership, which yeah. I really wanted to add the theme of of how important I wouldn't say because not everyone is 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 lucky enough to have grandparents or or there might not be grandmothers or whatever, but definitely having a, a another tier. That yeah. I think that's so important with. Child, I mean, intergenerational even friendships are so important yeah. like one of my I've got two three really good mates all in their 70s yeah, and that wow. is a different conversation that is a different mindset wisdom like we need all of that it's really important yeah. really important yeah but it's beautiful well done it's amazing I love it and it's so exciting that you're putting all of your thoughts and creativity into another beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I, awesome. I, I, yeah. I thank you for um, for reading it to your kids. It's, that's super exciting. Oh, well, they loved it and I loved it and it's been so good talking to you today. So thank you, Jordan. Cheers, Fern. 
Listen, when I said I could have chatted to Jordan for more hours, I meant it. He did actually end up hanging around at mine for quite some time that day because there was so much to talk about. And we've continued that conversation on the phone, which I'm sure will just continue till the end of time. Thank you so much to wonderful Jordan. His book, The Missing Piece, is out on the 18th of August and you absolutely must read it to every child that you know. Now, we're going to be taking a very short summer break from the podcast, but we'll be back in September with loads of brilliant new episodes for you. So make sure you're following the podcast so you get a notification as soon as we're back. In the meantime, I'm hoping that I'm going to see lots of you at Tatton Park, our next Happy Place Festival. We're going to have the best time. Massive thank you again to Jordan, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you. I love you, you brilliant humans, and I'll speak to you very, very soon. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.